You're listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. At Southwide Baptist Church, our mission is to boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and thereby lead people to worship God authentically, connect in biblical community, grow in Christian maturity, and multiply disciples and churches both locally and globally. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. Now let's join Pastor Jeremy for today's message. Well, if you have a copy of God's Word, let me invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21, and I'm excited to share with you this morning what the Lord has laid on my heart. It's been a real blessing to be able to um, share with you each week based on our um, our prayer times and to spend so much time in God's Word over the course of the last three weeks or so. And uh, I am excited to dive into what is a familiar passage, um, a passage that no doubt you've read many times before and you've heard in our, in our um, different worship gatherings and maybe even growing up, you've heard this passage again and again. Um, but this is something that we uh, that uniquely speaks to our situation, and so I hope you see that this morning. Um, of course, it is Palm Sunday, Palm Sunday, and it's the beginning of what has been called Holy Week or Passion Week. It's the final week of Jesus' life, his last few days here on earth as he was going to the cross. And during that last few days, those last few moments uh, before he went to the cross, he would be exalted as king. He would be hated as an enemy. He would be betrayed as a friend. He would be tried and crucified as a criminal. And then he would be raised as the son of God. All of that in order that he might save sinners like you and me by his blood. This is, in fact, the greatest week in human history. I hope that you know that. And by the way, the coronavirus has no bearing on that. Praise the Lord that we have the gospel. Palm Sunday, then, of course, is the day during Holy Week, the first day that we celebrate the truth that Jesus is, in fact, King. The name Palm Sunday derives from the actions of the crowd. As Jesus came into Jerusalem, they laid their cloaks down, but they also laid down branches from the trees nearby in order to line the path where Jesus would enter into Jerusalem, that triumphal entry or that royal entry. And Jesus staged it, the whole thing, in order that He might declare Himself to be the King of Promise. And so as we'll read together in a few moments, the crowds would respond by laying these branches before him on the path. And they did so as a method to to worship him, to praise him, because they recognized him as their king. And by the way, hear this if you hear nothing else this morning. Jesus is absolutely king. Revelation 19 says his eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems or crowns. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood and the name by which he is called is the word of God. And this is what verse 16 says on his robe and on his thigh. He has a name written King of Kings and Lord of 
lords. Jesus is the one that Luke tells us would be great and would be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Make no mistake about it this morning. No matter what is happening in the world around us, Jesus Christ is King. He's King of kings and Lord of lords. But he would not be the king that they expected him to be. So let me pose a question to you this morning just to give introduction and maybe thought to this passage. What if Jesus is not the kind of king that you expect him to be? Many people have their own ideas about who Jesus is, who they would assume or expect or desire that he would be, the way that he would live and 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 the way that he would build his kingdom. Many have their own opinions about who Jesus is and and what he's like, what his character is like, what he would want and what he would do in his relationship to the world. But Jesus does not always fit into our expectations. In fact, more often than not, Jesus absolutely takes our expectations and turns them upside down and is actually very opposite of who we might think that he would be because his nature and our nature are totally different. We may have one idea of who he is and then something happens in our life all of a sudden like a pandemic or something else. Our life gets turned upside down and and then we wonder where is God or who is God in the middle of this tragedy? And, And for some reason, our ideas of God begin to change. We wonder maybe in those times, if Jesus is still king. We might say with our mouth, we believe him to be king. But how is it that we live our lives demonstrating that we really do believe him to be king? So what if what if Jesus is not the kind of king that you expect him to be? You see, this is the very question that Israel would soon be wrestling with themselves. So. Let's read together Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 and following. Again, I would ask you to gather together in close with your children and with your family. And let's read the word of the Lord together. Now, when the day drew near, or rather, when when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Beth, Beth, uh, Beth, is how it's pronounced, Beth, To the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and the others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him And that followed him were shouting, 
Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when He entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask that as we study Your Word this morning, as You speak to us through Your Word, God, that You would teach us wonderful things beyond even what we can imagine. God, that we would see Your character, that we would see the the kingship of Your Son, and that we would be encouraged by His rule and reign. Lord, I pray that on this Palm Sunday, if there is a a person who's listening to this this, this live stream, wherever they are, God, I pray that You would convict their hearts, their need for Jesus. Lord, if they don't know Christ today, Lord, lead them to the need for Jesus today. And I pray that they would repent and trust in Jesus by faith. God, that You would be exalted and lifted up and glorified in that decision. Lord, be with us as we study Your Word. Speak to our hearts. And I pray, God, that we would be obedient to what it is that we see and hear. What You show us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jesus was very purposeful in His journey. Even from the very beginning, from the very moment that He came to earth, He was on a journey and on a mission. He stated very clearly that He had come to seek and to save the lost. This was His mission. The whole purpose in His coming to earth was to save sinners, sinners like me and sinners like you. By offering up His life in our place. This is the whole reason that Jesus came. The weight of this Gospel is shown alone in this passage. Verses, uh, as 8 out of 28 chapters, this, these verses in this, this chapter and then the remaining chapters around them. 8 out of 20 chapters dedicated to the final week of Jesus' life. In other words, Jesus due north in His life and His mission was the cross. It was eternally His plan. And so here in chapter 21, Jesus makes the arrangements to stage a royal entry into Jerusalem. He does this on on purpose. And already we kind of get the, the feel for this unexpected reign, that it didn't look like the typical reign of the kings and kingdoms of the day. Most of the kings of the day would have ridden in on a horse, a powerful horse, or maybe on a decorated chariot. They would have come in with far more, far more hype and pomp and circumstance than what Jesus came in on. Jesus chose a donkey. In fact, the text tells us that they drew near to Jerusalem and they came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus sent Two disciples saying to them, go into the village in front of you. And here's what they find. A donkey tied and a colt with her. And he says, untie them and bring them to me. And by the way, if anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and he will send them at once. So this town that they came to was a village that was east of Jerusalem, Bethphage. It was atop the Mount of Olives. Today, if you were to be there in Jerusalem, you might think of Bethphage as kind of this suburb of Jerusalem. If you're standing on the Mount of Olives and you're standing there, maybe in the place where Jesus was even specifically, you can look across the Kidron Valley there and you will see 
this place called the Temple Mount. And you'll see there the eastern wall of the temple. It's not the same wall that existed then. It's below the surface now, but a wall that has been rebuilt in the same place. And you would see this this gate that's actually been sealed up now. The gate called Beautiful. It is the Golden Gate through which Jesus would have most likely uh, entered in that same, generally that same spot, but much lower. Jesus would have entered in on the eastern side when He went down that uh, Mount of Olives on His triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Interestingly, that modern gate that has replaced the original gate has been sealed shut. About 500 years ago, it was sealed shut by Suleiman the Magnificent, a Muslim sultan of the Ottoman Empire. He actually sealed it shut because Jewish history said that the Messiah was going to come through that gate when He came. And so His intent was to completely seal off with about 16 feet it would have been of concrete in order to keep the Messiah from coming and taking His rightful place on the throne. And of course, 16 feet of concrete and a coronavirus and anything else you could dream up could never stop Jesus from taking His rightful place on the throne. So Jesus sends the disciples into Bethphage to get a donkey and a colt. And He said to them, untie it and bring it to Me. The Lord needs it. And then if, if, anyone, says, if anyone says anything to you, you say the Lord needs it and and, and that um, that they should do as they were told and send them and he will send them at once. And Mark says that someone did question them, which was interesting. But in fact, just as Jesus said, they said that the Lord needs this donkey and they sent him along. It's just a reminder that Jesus had perfect knowledge as God in human flesh of exactly what was going to take place. This is an unexpected entry. Jesus doesn't parade in with an army. He doesn't parade in with a horse. It's just simply palm branches and old cloaks laid down on the path instead of rich tapestries as you might imagine. This is not the way that Israel expected the promised Messiah King to take the place on His throne. In fact, we'll see over the course of this week in our prayer time, we're going to walk through Passion Week together each day at noon. And we're going to see that this was totally upended from the way that they expected. It's not the king that they wanted. He didn't fit into their social and political goals. He didn't line up with their worldview. He didn't meet their expectations. He didn't line up with what they had planned for. He didn't bring the economic prosperity that they were kind of hoping for. No, this king was far too humble, far too meager, and far too weak and poor. Does any of that hit home with you this morning? We all have expectations of God. We want Him to do something for us. We have in our hearts and in our minds that something that we want, we want Him to do for us. We want Him to, to be something for us. We want Him to provide something to us. So we have this whole list of expectations and demands. When Jesus doesn't meet our expectations and demands, how quick we are to turn against Him, to disobey, to rebel, 
So Jesus was not the king that they had hoped for, the king that they expected. But he was the king that God had promised. He was exactly the king that God had promised. In fact, the donkey and the colt were for this royal entry into Jerusalem were more than just a humble, unexpected entry. Jesus wasn't just trying to blow their minds with unexpected things. It was actually the fulfillment of promise. It's what Matthew says in, in, in verse 4 here. 21 verse 4. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. Everything that Jesus was doing had one primary goal. In fact, this was one of Matthew's primary goals, if not the primary goal of all of his gospel. And that is to demonstrate that this Jesus that he wrote about was the promised Messiah King. This Jesus was the very one who God promised in the prophecy in the Old Testament was coming in the New Testament. Jesus is the promised Son of the Most High God. He is, the, he is God in human flesh. And He's been sent by God to save His people from their sins. So let me just pause here for just a moment. And you need to know this morning that, that Jesus is the fulfillment of everything that God has promised, not just a few moments ago, but for a thousand years or better. God has been promising that a Messiah would come. And Jesus comes and He fulfills every one of the promises of God. Statisticians tell us that that is statistically impossible. That, that, that He could ever do that unless He actually was who He said that He was. Do you want proof that Jesus is the Son of God, Messiah King? Just go to your Bible and look at all of the ways that Jesus has fulfilled what God has promised. And by the way, if Jesus has fulfilled all of these promises, then it means that everything that Jesus said and claimed to be is true. And whatever Jesus claims is true should cause us to have a serious consideration about what He taught. God, who God is. Us, who we are as sinners. The Gospel. The fact that He has come to save us. Heaven and hell. All of these things demand our consideration because of who Jesus is. So Jesus did this specifically to demonstrate that He was the fulfillment of prophecy. Which, which prophecy, you might ask? Well, verse 5 tells us. And it's from Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. It says, so, uh, Say to the daughter of Zion. The daughter of Zion is just simply a reference to Jerusalem. And here's the prophecy. Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. He gets the donkey and the colt specifically because that's what was prophesied about him. He's riding in and in coming to this place called Jerusalem and going to the Temple Mount, he's riding into Jerusalem in fulfillment, directly fulfillment of prophecy. So the passage says in verse 6, the disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put, it on, put on them their cloaks. And he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. 
And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting. I'm not sure if the people totally understood, grasped the weight of what it is that was happening there. I think that they recognized Jesus as being a Messiah King, the, the King that they wanted. <coughs> he, he, they recognized Him as this King that maybe would fit their expectations. But in this moment, they clearly expected Jesus to be the one whom God promised. We see that in their response in verse 9. Hosanna in the highest, the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And then Matthew wants to make certain that we know exactly who they were talking about. Not some other person in the text, but they spoke of him again, again by name in verse 11. Specifically to Jesus of Nazareth. So that there is no questioning who this Jesus was. He is the promised Hosanna King. So despite them totally being misguided in their understanding of who Jesus was and even perhaps what they meant by their confession. The actual confession, the statements that they made were true statements about the kingship of Jesus. And whether we know, uh, whether we rightly expect Jesus or not, whether they rightly did or not, the things that they said are things that we should know and expect about him. So what are they? There are four of them in the passage, and I want to just draw your attention to them this morning. Four different things that we should rightly understand and expect about King Jesus. Number one, Jesus is the king whom God promised. Jesus is the king whom God promised. So notice in verse nine, it says, Hosanna to the son of David. Why is it important that they call Jesus the son of David? In fact, why is it important that they understood and quoted that son of David? What are what are they saying to us? What is the word saying to us that these people understood Jesus to be? Well, Matthew takes great care to mention it to us. In fact, Matthew had already said at the beginning of his gospel, if you go back to Matthew chapter one and read the Christmas story. You read the genealogy. Matthew takes great care to make sure that we know that Jesus is from the house and lineage of David. So why is that important? Well, it comes from a promise from the Old Testament. If you've got your Bible, you might want to turn here, but you can mark it down and look at it later. Second Samuel chapter seven. God made a promise to King David, the man after his own heart. Here's the promise that he made. 2 Samuel 7, verse 12. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, in other words, when you die, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish His kingdom. Verse 13 says, He shall build a house for My name and I will establish the throne of His kingdom forever. Now, of course, Solomon came after David and Solomon is the one who built the temple. But this is speaking far more than about a physical temple, primarily because his kingdom, Solomon's kingdom, did not last forever. <laughs> there was one who was coming who would fulfill that statement, who would fulfill that promise. And it is King Jesus. And here now standing on the temple mount, he declares himself to be that one. King of kings, son of David. 
Isaiah 9 that we read oftentimes at Christmas gives us another statement of this promise. This is chapter 9 and verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Listen to how it describes him. Of the increase of his government and of the of of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And this is who Jesus is. I, I think that the crowds initially acknowledge that Jesus is this king of promise and and this morning you need to hear this. It is important that every single one of us recognize Jesus as the King that God has promised. He is the substance of divine prophecy. The very Word of God Himself. The crowds in that sense rightly declare Him to be a prophet in verse 11. They say that this is the prophet of Nazareth. For He is the substance of all divine prophecy. Everything that God has promised is fulfilled in Christ. The writer of Hebrews says that long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days He has spoken to us by His Son. And by the way, that Son is the one who He is appointed to be heir of all things through whom also He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He holds the universe by the word of His power. Aren't you thankful for that this morning? That our, our Savior King is reigning over the whole world and holds the universe by His power. Jesus is the King of promise. Secondly, Jesus is the King who saves He's the king who saves. So twice in this passage, actually both of them found in verse 9, the crowd uses this word, Hosanna. So it's there, Hosanna to the son of David in verse 9. And then read on a little further, he says, Hosanna in the highest. Two indications. That word is only used five times in the Gospels. Only five times do we see the word Hosanna. What does it mean? Literally, it is an outcry that says, save now. Save now. There is a clear understanding that the one who's coming, Jesus of Nazareth, Messiah King, that he is this Messiah King and he's coming to save. They understood that. When they say Hosanna in the, in the highest, they recognize Him as the one sent from God, that He offers ultimate salvation. That this is the salvation that God has promised. And it's not only ultimate salvation, but it's immediate salvation. Save now. That there's no more waiting on the promise to be fulfilled, that it's been met, and as they stare at this One, as they worship this One, that He's coming to save Israel. We sang this song this morning. Hosanna, you are the God who saves us. Friend, you need to understand this morning that we have a king who has come not yet to judge the world, but ultimately to save the world in righteousness. We have a king who has come to give his life for us. 
Why is it that the world is in need of saving? Why is it that you and I are in need of saving? Why did Israel need saving? Well, I can promise you this morning, it was not to establish a political social power. It was, no, it was not to, to, to restore a nation, so to speak. It was not to restore an ethnic national people. Hear me very carefully this morning. The greatest need of our lives is not the restoration of our country, although we pray for that. The greatest need of our lives is salvation from our sin and restoration to a holy God. You see, we are sinners separated from God. We we have sinned grievously against Him and He is holy and sin cannot be in His presence. Therefore, He has turned His face away from us even as we have turned our face away from Him in rebellion and sinfulness. Even in the depths of our heart, we are, we are wicked. Even on our most righteous day, we are wicked and separated from God and we are in need of saving. Praise God that this King has come. Amen? This King has come to save us from our sin. He is Hosanna. Lord, save us now. There is no more waiting. There is no plan B. No backup plan. Jesus is the plan of salvation. God's method of saving us from our sins. And praise God, it's salvation immediately, right now before us. The Bible says right now, today, if you will call upon the name of the Lord, You will turn from your sin and and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ that today He will save you. He is Savior, King, God in human flesh. Jesus is the King who saves. He is the King who is the King of promise. And Jesus is the King who reigns. Number three. Jesus is the King who reigns. The Bible says here in this passage, they cry out, blessed is he who comes. Notice this specifically in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. The one who comes in the name of the Lord is divine. He's the the son of the most high God. Hosanna in the highest means that he receives the highest honor, the highest worship. He is divine. He is God in human flesh. This is where the crowds got it wrong. He was more than a mere prophet from Nazareth. He was the Son of the living God, born of a virgin, conceived of the Holy Spirit, God wrapped in human flesh, come to save people. And so as a result of Him being God in human flesh, He was able to reign as sovereign King. John chapter 1 says that Jesus did not come 2,000 years ago only, but rather Jesus was there from the very beginning. And the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. Who was that Word? Verse 14 tells us that that Word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory the glory as of the only begotten of the father full of grace and truth jesus himself is god that is true and therefore as eternal god he reigns sovereignly in the highest he's supreme 
Listen carefully. Jesus is not just God over Israel. Jesus is not just God over the Christian church. Jesus is not just king over some nations who want to recognize him as king. Jesus is king over all creation. Every single person on the planet, Jesus is king over our lives, whether we submit to him or not. Jesus is not in need of us putting a crown on his head. He already wears the crown. Instead, we must decide whether we are going to submit to him as king of our lives or not. You see, the fact is that Jesus is sovereign, reigning king. And every person on the planet will make the decision. You're going to make the decision today. Before this video is over, you're going to make the decision of whether you'll submit to King Jesus or whether you won't. You'll make that decision tomorrow. You'll make that decision the day after that. You'll make that decision in the middle of a pandemic. And you'll make that decision in the midst of prosperity. In every moment of our lives, we make a decision whether we're going to submit to the rule and reign of King Jesus or not. The Bible teaches us that one day every knee will submit to Christ. We've been in Philippians all week long. And we read this passage in chapter 2. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. See, Jesus is Lord. He's king. He reigns sovereignly. In fact, the second thing that we looked at in the, this this item, Jesus as Savior King and Jesus as Sovereign King, the two of those are married together and they are inseparable. Cannot receive the salvation of the Lord without submitting to the sovereignty of the Lord. We have to give our lives to Jesus. It's total surrender. We have to submit our lives to Him. He's King and He is Savior. There's a fourth kind of King that we see in the passage. Jesus is the King... Whom we must praise. Jesus is the King whom we must praise. The whole passage, every, every word in the passage presents this picture. Like you can't, you can't view Palm Sunday without getting this picture of everything in Jerusalem just stopping and everyone taking notice. So read along with me. Look at verse 7. They brought the donkey and the colt And watch what the disciples do. They put on them their cloaks, this bestowing of honor. And he sat on them. Then the crowds, as he's traveling, the crowds spread their cloaks on the road. Same kind of honor. And they cut branches of the the branches of the trees and they spread them on the road. Same kind of honor there. Verse nine, the crowds that went before him and that followed him both before and after are shouting. And what is it that they are shouting? Of course, Hosanna. And it says in verse 10 that the whole city, the whole city was stirred up. Everyone in the city. And they ask, who is this? And the crowds say that this is Jesus. It's in fact an expression of praise. 
where all attention and all honor and all glory are going to Jesus and Jesus alone. In fact, Luke gives us a little bit more insight. It's interesting that the religious leaders of the day didn't like Jesus. Nothing much has changed in our day. So many that give some semblance of being religious and living a good life, and yet they don't have any relationship with Christ. Verse 39 says that the Pharisees, that's who they were, and the crowd said, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. They were angry. That They were praising Jesus. They didn't believe Jesus was who He said that He was. In verse 40, I love what Jesus says. I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. All of the churches across America have shut their doors. People are in their homes. You're in your home. Others around you all across this state, all across our country, all across the world even. People gathered in their homes to worship the Lord and the church doors are shut. And yet, the church has not been silenced. The church is still worshiping because we have a King who must be worshipped. And even if, even if we were to close our mouths, the very stones around us would cry out and worship to a holy God because the entire heavens are declaring His glory and His righteousness and His worth. Jesus is worthy of our praise. He is a King who must be praised. A King of this nature is a King that we cannot ignore. If He is sovereign, if He is saving, we cannot at all ignore Him. If He is the One who is the One of promise that God has said He's coming and now He's here, we cannot ignore all of this evidence of this God. Some of you have tried so far, as you think about your life, you've tried to ignore the fact of Jesus. The kingship of Jesus, His rule and reign in your life. You've tried to just kind of shut that out and do what you want. Some of you, as you think about this crisis around us, you've forgotten that Jesus is King and you just kind of stop taking notice of Him and all of your mind and all of your heart and your everything that you are is wrapped up in all of the things of this world. Everything that's happening around you, the chaos and the, the fear and all of these things that are around us. Some of you are wrapped up in things that you know are sinful before a holy God. And you said, I don't care what Jesus says about my life. This is what I want to do with my life. It's my life. I'll do with it what I want. The fact is, this king cannot be ignored. So what if? What if Jesus is not the kind of king that you expected him to be? This is, of course, in the passage, and as we'll look this week, where things took an unexpected turn. Where this king would not come to sit on a throne and wear a crown, but Jesus, King Jesus, would come to die on a cross. They had their expectations of him, and yet he simply wanted their attention on him. Instead of trying to fit him into their mold, they just simply wanted us he just simply wanted us to surrender before Him in worship. Jesus was doing whatever it took to defy their expectations and correct them. 
to command their attention, to convict them and to forgive them of their sin, to lead them to repentance and to bring them to real faith. And the fact is this morning that Jesus is doing the same thing in your life. What if Jesus is not the one that you expected Him to be? What if He's a king that is totally different? I feel like I just need to say this to you this morning. What if Jesus has in His sovereignty, in His sovereign reign, what if Jesus has allowed a pandemic to happen and other things to happen in your life just simply to get you to stop and to arrest your attention and fix your attention upon Him? What if this morning Jesus is calling you to repentance and faith in Christ? What if Jesus this morning is calling you to set aside your expectations, to set aside all of the goals that you have, to rearrange your life so that it's no longer fixed on an earthly kingdom, but now it's fixed upon the kingdom of Christ and His gospel and what He wants to do in the world, His glory, His salvation. What if God is totally rearranging your life right now? I I just think that maybe He is. For many of us, God has done other things to get our attention and we've ignored them in the past. And I want to just plead with you this morning. I want to just plead with you on this Palm Sunday that you would turn and repent from that. Would you bow your heads with me? Even as we think about what God has been saying to us. If you're listening to this this morning, if you've joined us on live stream, you're gathered with us and you don't know Jesus today. Can I just plead with you? Jesus is king whether you make him that or not. But can I plead with you before it's too late? That you submit your life to the rule and reign of King Jesus. Because He's come to be your Savior. He came and He died on a cross for you. He gave His life for you. He was raised to life. Today He rules and reigns. And the Bible teaches that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. If you right now in the quietness of your own home, wherever you are listening to this live stream, if you would call upon the name of the Lord, say, say to God, Lord, I'm, I'm a sinner. I've turned away from You. I, I've sinned against You. And, and I need to invite You into my life right now. I, I ask You to save me, God. You're ruling and reigning. And I want to I submit to Your reign in my life, God. Would You save me? I plead with You as a sinner. Have mercy on me. I give You my life. Would You forgive me of my sin and restore my life to God? Heal me. I want to know You. In Jesus' name, Amen. If that's your prayer today, if that's really what you mean with all of your heart, I want to just encourage you to make that your life now. Submit your life to God. I pray that's the confession of both your mouth and of your heart. And then whenever the church has an opportunity to gather again together in one place, that you would be baptized and that you would follow the Lord in obedience. Christian, if you are listening on this morning, I want to encourage you to remember that Jesus is your King. That He's reigning. And that as you give your life to Him, as you surrender to His mission and His will in your life, that He will fight for you and He will be your God and He will be sovereign over your life. You just trust Him today. And as we engage in Passion Week together, as we walk through the life of Jesus, 
Let's remember what Christ has done for us. It is not insignificant. In fact, it is the most significant thing we could ever know in our lives. That could have ever been done for us because it changed our eternal destiny. I want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. And I want to encourage you in one more way. If you made a decision today for Christ, maybe you made a decision uh, to do something in following Jesus and submitting to Him as King Maybe you just need us to pray for you today. Something that, um, that's on your heart that, that maybe you've not mentioned to anybody else. I, I want to encourage you to go to this link, mydecision.southwidebaptist.com. Mydecision.southwidebaptist.com. And I want to encourage you today to fill out that decision and indicate there uh, what it is that you uh, have decided today or what Jesus is leading you to do so that we can help you in your journey with the Lord. We just simply want to be an encouragement and a ministry to you. Well, God bless you. We're glad that you were here today. We encourage you to join us again next week on our live stream as we worship the Lord together Easter Sunday morning starting at 10 o'clock. God bless you. We will see you next week. You've been listening to the Southwide Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. We also invite you to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram by searching for Southwide BC. Thank you for listening, and may you continue to worship, connect, grow, and multiply as you follow Jesus Christ.